Welcome to the Disney Wedding Podcast, brought to you by Passporter's Disney Weddings and Honeymoons, the only guidebook and bridal organizer tailored exclusively to Disney's fairy tale weddings. I'm your host, Carrie Hayward. Each week I feature a different aspect of Disney weddings, from the latest news, information, and money-saving tips, to interviews with wedding vendors and real Disney brides and grooms. I also cover honeymoons, anniversaries, and engagements at the Disney parks and resorts. Join me now as the Disney Wedding Podcast celebrates romance at Disney destinations worldwide. Today on the Disney Wedding Podcast, we are following up last week's episode, which was part one of how to be a Disney wedding guest, with part two, which will focus on the frequently asked questions. These are the things that are probably racing through your mind when you first get that invitation or a save the date to a Disney's fairy tale wedding at Walt Disney World or at Disneyland. And today I am joined once again by Disney bride Hope to talk about the answers to those questions. Hope has been a guest at numerous Disneyland weddings and also had her own Disneyland wedding. And so between the two of us, with me and my Disney World wedding experience and guest experience, we hope to put your mind at ease and make the process of going to a Disney's fairy tale wedding fun and exciting. So welcome, Hope. Thanks for having me, Carrie. So let's see. Last week, we talked about just the basics of traveling to a wedding, where to stay, how do you get around. Today, I want to go over specific questions that I see a lot from people who have been invited to a Disney's fairy tale wedding. Um, I think as Disney brides, we are so immersed in the culture of how this works, and we do so much research that we sometimes forget that the average Joe on the street has no idea how this works, may think that Mickey yes. is going to be the officiant. Uh, so we're hoping to sort of demystify that today. So let's start out with the first one. Question. I got a card that says save the date, but the date is a year from now. Do I have to reply right away? Okay. So brides send out save the dates because they need to get an idea of how many people are coming to their wedding. And traditionally, invitations don't go out until about six weeks before the wedding, which is way too late for a bride to know. It's cutting it close. Yes. So the save the date is like your warning. And it's especially helpful if you are planning to travel a long distance, like if you're going to a Disney World wedding or a Disneyland wedding and you don't live in California. The save the date gives you the heads up that this is coming up. It's going to be a destination wedding. If you need to save up, now's a good time. If you know you can't go because that's the time that you go on your annual trip to Hawaii or whatever, it's very helpful to the bride and groom if you let them know as soon as possible if you're not going to be able to attend. Yes. So you don't have to reply to it, but I think it's also nice to acknowledge just in the text, hey, I got it. It's in an email. Just so that they know. I know we sort of didn't we freak out, but we were wondering why we hadn't heard when we sent out our save the dates. And I think people just didn't realize that it, it was nice to just say, hey, we got it. Just so we would know that they didn't get lost and people uh, knew that they were, this is almost like a pre-invite. Right, right. And, you know, again, it's not a formal thing. You, there's not going to be a little envelope with a stamp on it for you to mail anything back. It can just be really helpful to let them know that you know and like I say, if you know right away that you're not going to be able to attend, do let them know because it can really change their plans if they find out they're going to have fewer or more people than they expected. Yes. Another question that people often have when they find out they're going to a Disney wedding is, do I need a park ticket in order to attend the wedding? And the answer is always no for the wedding part. 
So for the ceremony and the reception, the bride and groom, it, usually it's because it's taking place before the park is even open or it's in a part of the park where you don't need admission. You don't have to buy any kind of ticket in order to go to the ceremony and the reception. Now, if they're having a dessert party inside the park, and this mostly just happens at Walt Disney World, there may be they may be paying a fee for you to go into the park or they may ask you if you're going to have park admission, can you please let us know because then we won't have to pay for you and you were going to have it anyway. So it's helpful like if you decide, okay, we're going to Walt Disney World, we're going to get admission for all five days that we're there. It can be helpful to let the bride and groom know if they are planning a dessert party in Epcot or Hollywood Studios because then they won't have to pay a viewing fee for you to get into the park. You can use your actual admission. But don't feel like you have to buy a ticket, especially if you weren't going to go into the parks at all and then suddenly you think you have to buy an $80 ticket to get into the parks for this party. No, they can pay a much reduced fee for you. It's just helpful if you were going to have admission already or if you're an annual pass holder especially. Yeah, and at Disneyland, it's the same thing. You don't necessarily, you don't need a park ticket at all because most of the weddings are going on in the hotel area that's further away from the park because nothing to do with the parks. So you get away with that. And like the one time I did get to go to an in-park wedding, it's like you mentioned, it's it's during either before the park opens or after the park opens. And at that point, um, you're just going in with escort. So you don't need park admission to go to the wedding, even when it's inside the park. Now, another thing I think maybe goes through people's minds, even if they don't want to admit it, but it's perfectly natural, is I'm paying to go all the way to Florida or all the way to California for this wedding. Do I still have to give them a gift? And this is, okay, first of all, it's definitely up to you. A gift is always up to you. You never have to feel like you have to give a gift. Um, I know that there are traditions, depending on what part of the country you live in, of how much a gift should cost or how much you should give or what you should give. But in general, you know, if you feel moved to give them a gift, great. I would say, yes, you are laying out a lot of money to go to this, so don't feel like you have to get them an expensive gift. I love filling in those things like the spatulas and the whisks and things on their registry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you come up with a funny little uh, card to go with it, it can be a memorable gift. Um, but definitely, if you do decide to give a gift and it is a destination wedding, don't bring it to the wedding because how are they going to get it home? They're going to have to put it in their suitcase just like you had to put it in your suitcase to take it out there. So if at all possible, ship it ahead, give them a gift card, something that, you know, you don't have to physically bring something to the wedding. Yeah, I, I also would say yes to that as well. You don't like you don't have to, but I, I, I feel like it's nice to show a small token of appreciation, especially with Disney weddings that are mostly destination weddings. It don't have a lot of guests. You were chosen out of quite a number of people that could have gone to come to the celebrate with them. So I feel like it's you, it's up to you, but at least like you said, something small, even if it's a cash or a gift card, uh, it's just something to say, Hey, thank you for letting me celebrate with you. It's always appropriate. Now, the other thing you might be wondering is what is the Disney honeymoon registry? Because they may have mentioned this. Hopefully they didn't mention it in their invitations because that's really bad etiquette, but yeah, um, so far. Perhaps it's on their website or perhaps you know the mother of the bride or someone in the wedding party and you said, hey, what can I get them? And they said, well, they have this thing called the Disney Honeymoon Registry. So what that is, is it's an independent service that is partnered with Disney and you can buy them, quote unquote, experiences or things for their honeymoon at the Disney parks, whether it's Disneyland or Walt Disney World. But what you should know is you're not actually buying them that thing. So if you click to buy two credits toward 
afford a dinner at Jico, they're actually just going to get the money that they can spend on whatever they want. Now, hopefully, they will spend it on the thing that you intended for them, and they put that on their registry, so it's probably something they want. But don't be offended if you find out that they spent it all on Mickey bars instead. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, I'm not sure. Maybe you know more about this because this is sort of new after we were married. But um, I heard that the take a percentage out of what you guess put toward the registry. Yeah, so this is a little funny thing. The, the new registry, the one that's an outside vendor who's partnering with Disney, the bride and groom can decide whether the fees come out of their take or what you pay. So depending on how they set it up, either you give them $25 and you only pay $25 and then they lose a percentage off the top of that, or you give them $25 but it ends up costing you $27 because you're paying the fees. Mm-hmm. I think in, in that sense, I would just, if if it were up to me, I'd probably as a guest just give them money because at least that way I'd know they'd use 100% toward what they intended to use and not have to worry that, oh, uh, you know, I paid for their Jico dinner and they're being stiff $2. So there goes the, you know, appetizer or something. Right, right. That's a good point. So then another question I hear a lot from guests is, what do I do with all these newsletters and updates they keep sending me? Because often Disney brides and grooms are very organized. And because it's a destination wedding, they want to make sure you have all the information you could possibly need to plan your trip. So know that these are given to you with good intentions. If you don't want to look at them, fine. But it can be a really good idea to just put them all in a file and then bring it with you. Because I guarantee that once you get there, you'll be like, wait, how do we get to the ceremony? Or where did they say that the rehearsal dinner was? It's all in the newsletters and the updates. Please read them. That's the number one next to the people not RSVPing, like pet peeve for brides that they spend all this time and effort toward putting detailed newsletters together, making it so easy for guests to know the, the basics, how to get there, where to book, especially for people that are not Disney people and are not familiar with getting to and from the parks. So definitely at least read the first newsletter and make yourself acquainted with uh, what they require from you or how you're, where you're supposed to go and stuff like that. Because a lot of the times, all your questions two weeks before the wedding were answered in newsletter number four. And you definitely don't want to stress out the couple with questions that you should already know the answers to that were provided for you eight months ago. <laughs> right. And like Hope was saying, if you aren't that familiar with the Disney parks, these newsletters are a great like cheat sheet. Instead of having to read all the guidebooks and search all over the web, the bride and groom have probably put every essential that you need to know in these newsletters. So it can be a great way to just get a quick overview of everything you need. Okay, another question is, the wedding is in six weeks, and I've already made my travel plans. Obviously, I'm going, but I just got a formal invitation in the mail. Do I really need to RSVP? And the answer is yes. Yes. There's a stamp on that envelope for a reason. Yep. I know sometimes it can be a drag. If for some reason you don't live near a post office or it's impossible for you to mail it, email them, call them, but it can be crucial to a bride's budget the bottom line of the whole wedding and just what the planners are asking of her to know exactly how many people are going. So even though you know you're going, you have your reservations and everything, the bride and groom really need to hear an official yes or no. Also, there might be a selection that you need to make for what kind of entree you want to eat or if you have to make some other kind of decision about needing transportation. Definitely take the 30 seconds to call them or send them an email or to drop it in the mail because it will be very helpful. 
Yes, especially also if you're in the bridal party, and a lot of times people say, "Well, they know I'm coming. I'm in. The, I'm, an, I'm a bridesmaid," but they still need to know your food preferences and also to know, if, especially if you were given a plus one, whether or not you will use that seat or if they can give it to somebody else. And now, speaking of plus ones, another question you hear is, "Okay, this invitation is just addressed to me. It doesn't have my girlfriend's name on it or my kid's name. Can I still bring them?" Wedding etiquette is then only the people who are named on the envelope or and guest. So if you get an envelope that's like to Joe Blow and guest, that means, yes, you can bring your girlfriend or whoever. But if it's just addressed to Joe Blow, it means that they're just inviting you. Yeah. We did get an invite one time where it was just addressed to my husband. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm not going. That's fine because I know the rules. And then a couple of weeks before that, we realized that my invite was implied, even though it wasn't on the envelope. Ah, so that that would be a good case to just ask. And you're not going to offend anybody to ask. They'll be happy that you asked instead of just bringing the whole family or not bringing the whole family and they were hoping to see the whole family. Yeah, but a good rule of thumb is definitely if the invite's just addressed to you, then you are the only person that they're inviting. Sorry. Okay, what if you're bringing kids to Disney, but kids are not invited to the wedding. Hopefully, the bride and groom have provided you a list of some alternatives, whether it's in-room childcare. At Walt Disney World, there's a service called Kids Night Out that provides licensed babysitters to come to the room and take care of them. Sometimes, brides and grooms plan a kids party that goes on along with the wedding so the kids can all hang out there. Yeah, that was a, it's a prickly subject. Do they do, what do they do at Disneyland weddings about kids? I think they, they don't necessarily have anything like through fairy tale weddings, but I, I know I've heard of some brides using just local nanny services to either watch the children in someone's hotel room or perhaps they rent the adjacent ballroom and have some activities laid out for the kids so that the parent, if they want, can just go next door and keep a close eye on the kid and then come back and enjoy the party. And I know that there's a, a Pinocchio's workshop at the Grand Californian which is I, it's sort of like a daycare, but um, not as one-on-one. -on -one. But I'm not sure how late they open and if they would work for couples that are having uh, an evening wedding. I think they close early. Oh, that's interesting because that's a good point. For Walt Disney World, the deluxe resorts all have kids clubs, and they open at about 4 o'clock, 4.30 usually. It's, sometimes it changes. And they're usually open till 11 or midnight, so that can be a good alternative. And you don't have to be staying at a deluxe resort to use them. So just call the deluxe resort nearest to the wedding, like say if you're at the Grand Floridian, that would be perfect to use theirs. And then you can drop the kid off there. I can't. The price is it's pretty reasonable if they get dinner. They're plenty of activities for them, and then you can come pick them up at the end of the night. Yeah, not bad. Okay, another question a lot of people have at any kind of wedding, Disney or otherwise, is what should I wear to the wedding? And sometimes I think people think Disney weddings are less formal because it's a destination wedding, um, but I would definitely see if there are any indicators on the invite, and then if you're still stumped, talk to the mother of the bride or someone in the bridal party or the bride and groom, if you don't mind bugging them. Um, uh, they're going to be the ones who have the most strong opinions, so I would definitely check if you're not sure. Yeah, and I know because we talked about Disneyland having everything close distance and you're usually walking, I think number one thing would be to wear comfortable shoes. I tend to favor flats because I know we'll be, because of all the walking and on the occasions that I do decide to wear heels, I end up bringing an extra pair of flats to carry my purse. And I know other girls carry flip-flops around or sometimes they're provided by the bride and groom, but you can't really count on that. So just wear comfortable shoes and also whatever you're wearing um, make sure that's weather appropriate 
at Disneyland, all of the uh, venues are outdoor and exposed to the elements. So it, when it, if it's hot outside, you know, wear something that's going to keep you cool. And if it's cold outside, make sure you bring a jacket. Sometimes they have heaters available, but sometimes it's just a few and you're sitting where the, it's not close to a heater. So you end up kind of like freezing a little bit. So just, you know, make sure you're weather appropriate and comfortable. And of course, above all, like look nice because you're still going to a special occasion. You'll be there for around six hours. So you don't want to regret wearing your micro mini when it's 30 degrees out. <laughs> Um, my tip would also be to bring a hat. I know that, like, I went to this wedding that it took place in Epcot's Germany Pavilion, which was in the shade for the ceremony, but then we had the reception in the Italy Pavilion, which is completely exposed. There was not a single inch of shade, and I was the only one there with the hat, and everybody was jealous. I next to you. So if you know you're going to be outdoors, bring a hat and a, a fan And during the summer months. Sometimes brides and grooms provide things like parasols and fans, but, yeah. man, I always stash a fan at Disney because you never know. Sometimes it's just humid indoors. They can be great to have. Yeah, it's a good point. Definitely be weather appropriate and wear a hat if you're going to be outdoors or bring a parasol. There you go. Now, how do I get to the wedding and reception is another question because it's not like a hometown wedding where you know where the church is or the hotel or whatever and you just park and stay and you're there. Generally, there is some travel more at Walt Disney World than at Disneyland. Uh, at Walt Disney World, we touched on this a little bit in the previous episode, but they often, the bride and groom will provide transportation for you to the ceremony, between the ceremony and the reception, and then from the reception back to your hotel. So this is some of the information that will be in those packets that the bride and groom are sending to you, a schedule of, you know, when to meet the bus, or um, if there's no bus, when to be at where, that will kind of give you an idea of how to get around. If they aren't providing transportation at Walt Disney World, I think having a car is the easiest way. Now, it could be that, say, they're getting married at the Wedding Pavilion and their reception is at the Grand Floridian. That's walkable. You wouldn't have to worry about that. You would just park your car once at the Wedding Pavilion and you'd be fine. But if they're in two different places, if part of it's in a park, there's going to be transportation involved. So if you're not sure, definitely talk to the bride and the groom or somebody associated with the wedding to find out. And at Disneyland, everything's on the same uh, property, so they're all within five minutes of each other. The ceremony, the cocktail hour, the reception space. So um, there's not really any concern about like waiting for a bus or a friendship boat or anything like that over here. Okay, another question. What is a dessert party? Uh, I think this is something that you don't generally see with a traditional home wedding, but they are huge at Walt Disney World. Hope, let me first ask, do they even do dessert parties at Disneyland? You know what, they didn't, but it's been a recent offering. Uh, one of the weddings I went to this uh, past summer did offer a dessert party. It was three hours after the reception had ended, and it was basically in the um, open area outside the Grand Californian, in the, what they call the wedding garden. And it was just like a nice, almost like a cocktail hour type thing where you're just kind of standing there socializing with a bunch of desserts. We had chocolate, vanilla, and orange ice cream and various toppings and churros and cotton candy and they had uh, what used to be our favorite uh, bruschetta dessert wine the magic cow that's no longer available at disneyland well they had that provided for the guests so it's, it seems to be a, a recent offering but it doesn't have the bells and whistles that i know the walt disney world dessert parties have with the fireworks viewing and that kind of stuff Right. So at Walt Disney World, if you get invited to a dessert party, it's generally either inside Epcot or Disney's Hollywood Studios for viewing of Illuminations, which is the fireworks spectacular at Epcot, or Fantasmic, which is what they show at 
Disney's Hollywood Studios, or sometimes they're held in the marina at the Grand Floridian or at the Contemporary Convention Center where you can view off in the distance the Wishes fireworks at the Magic Kingdom. So a dessert party, uh, like Hope was saying, it's, you know, you, it's about an hour. You go there. They have all these desserts set up on a buffet, and then there's viewing of the fireworks. If you're at Epcot, you are right. You have a prime viewing spot right along the water of the show. So that can be a special experience and maybe a vantage point on the fireworks that you wouldn't normally get if you were just a day guest. At the Grand Floridian, the view is a little more distant, but it's still really nice because you're out in the open air and you're having your desserts and you get to see them and sometimes they even have the music piped in. So it can be a really fun way to end the night after the wedding and the reception. Sometimes the bride and groom also schedule one as a welcome party or as a farewell party. So hopefully you're lucky enough to have a dessert party involved in your the event you're going to. Yeah, it's a really nice way to keep the party going. So then another question that I hear is, why is the wedding so dang early in the morning? <laughs> uh, and I think these this is probably more true at Walt Disney World because when you do a park wedding, especially like an Epcot wedding, you need to be in and out of the park before the day guests get there. So that means for Epcot, you need to have your ceremony at 9 a.m. If they're doing a Magic Kingdom wedding, they have to do the ceremony at 8 a.m. And I know this is a little, this is a lot for guests to wrap their head around because generally when you think of a wedding, you think of a Saturday evening time or maybe a morning wedding and an evening reception, but at a more reasonable hour, like say 10. And it's just one of the little foibles of having a Disney wedding that their scheduling requires you to have them that early. But I will say that of the guests I spoke to from our wedding, which was at 9 a.m. in Epcot, they liked how we had the wedding and then we had the reception and then there was a break where they could go swimming or go to the parks or take a nap or whatever. And then we did a dessert party in the evening. So it made it a full day event, but you still had some time to yourself in between. Right. And at Disneyland, I think they do have, uh, as far as in the hotel area, they have weddings that can start as early as 9.30. I haven't been to one of those, but so the earliest start time, even for our wedding as well, was 11.30, which wasn't, I didn't think it was too bad. No. But again, if you're, if you're traveling from further away, then you're leaving the house at 8, and then it does become like, ugh, why is it so early? But you deal with it, you set your alarm, you're going to celebrate, so. Yeah, it's probably going to turn out to be one of the best weddings you've ever gone to, so you'll it'll be worth it. Yes, all right, another question we get a lot, and tongue-in-cheek perhaps, but you often hear the first thing someone says when you tell them you're having a Disney wedding is, so is Mickey going to officiate the ceremony? <laughs> no. In fact, the characters are not allowed to come to the ceremonies. No, they're not. They're only allowed to come to the receptions. So yes, you may see characters at the reception, but no, they are real ceremonies. They are legally binding. They involve a marriage license, and they are officiated by real live pastors, ministers, other clergy people, or uh, notaries public. Right. And then they're as religious and as solemn as a any other wedding you could possibly go to. So I think that's the joke and sort of what... Disney brides have to deal with is like people don't think it's a serious wedding, but it is. It's you know I've been to weddings where they have clergymen and it was like a full-on, like really religious mass that just happened to be on Disney property. And I've had other ones that were more like non-denominational, like officiated by friends and more less formal. So it, it runs a gamut, but definitely it is legal and binding, and it's to be taken seriously. Another issue that people sometimes worry about because they know that Disney is a family-friendly environment and there's no alcohol allowed 
Well, there was no alcohol allowed in the Magic Kingdom until they announced the opening of the new Be Our Guest restaurant. Um, So people often wonder, is this going to be a dry wedding or am I going to be able to get some booze? And the answer is, it depends. It really depends on the bride and groom, just as it would at any other venue. Um, We did not have alcohol at our wedding, but our wedding was at 9 a.m. and our reception ended by 2 and it just didn't seem like you needed to be drinking that early in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a great way. It can be a great way for the bride and groom to save money. So if you desperately need to have booze when you go to a wedding, generally you are in a hotel venue somewhere, so there's probably a bar nearby if you want to go out. But then many brides and grooms do choose to have alcohol and big expensive alcohol packages. So if that is a concern, definitely ask around. Right. And just in case, bring cash. Sometimes you do end up with a cash bar or like a cash bar toward the end of the reception. And again, like you said, it's up to the bride and groom what they can afford to offer. But like also, like you said, if it's an early wedding, you may, I'm not sure I'd want to drink Jack and Coke at nine in the morning. <laughs> Now, one thing we touched on earlier is, what about if you have mobility issues? It sounds like there's a lot of walking at a Disney wedding. How do you deal with that? I know at Disneyland, you can request a rental wheelchair at the front desk of the hotel, whether or not you're staying at the hotel. Oh, that's great. I'm sure they would do that at Walt Disney World, too. Yeah. Also, at Walt Disney World, you see a lot of people with electric scooters. Um, Sometimes they can arrange to get someone like a a hotel staffer in a golf cart. Like if, say, you're going to the wedding pavilion and you're starting at the Grand Floridian, that's a five- or eight-minute walk. And if you just can't make it and you're not parking at the lot right next to the wedding pavilion, they may be able to run you over there in a golf cart. So, oh, dear, that sounds like they're going to run you over. (laughs) No, not that. Not literally. (laughs) They may be able to drive you over in a golf cart. Right. Yeah, that's what happened with our uh, guests with mobility issues. They were taken uh, on golf cart to the reception space because our our layout was we had the ceremony on the Disneyland Hotel side and then the cocktail hour and reception on the Grand Californian side of things. And it's just across the street. But for people with mobility issues, it, it does end up being sort of a hazard with having to wait. You know, the light's like 10 seconds, it feels sometimes, and, you, and you're walking what takes two minutes to cross the street. So it's easier just to hop on a golf cart and get whisked away. Yeah, that's a good point, because at Disneyland, there's an actual public street that goes right through the resort, whereas at Walt Disney World, you know, the venues you would be going to for a ceremony and reception, you're not going to actually have to see a street. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, another question. What do I do with all this stuff in my welcome bag? If you're very lucky, the bride and groom have spent lots of time putting together a little welcome bag that you will find when you check in, or they will give to you at some sort of event before the wedding. And we want you to know that they spend a lot of time on these. Um, Hopefully it's full of really helpful stuff, more information, maybe a reiteration of some of the stuff in the newsletter, a schedule, but also sometimes just little things to make your trip easier, hand sanitizer, a little fan, things that you might wish that you had brought with you. And, you know, you don't have to keep all of the things in the welcome bag, but just know that they were made with love and they are there to make your stay easier. Right. And sometimes it involves like they have snacks involved or they have little souvenirs and it saves you some, you know, some money on trying to find a souvenir because they're already included in your welcome bag. So definitely look through them, enjoy it and make sure you thank the bride and groom because I'm sure they'd like to know that you got the bags. And if you don't get a welcome bag, I'm very sorry. I just didn't have the time or the patience to put one together. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, okay, another question. Do I have to spend my whole vacation with the bride and groom? Now, sometimes the guests actually really want to spend their whole vacation with the bride and groom, and the bride and groom are kind of like, gee, this is our honeymoon. Are we ever going to get to be alone? So right. the answer is no. I mean, they may have planned a whole weekend's worth of activities. There may be, you know, men's golf games and bridal teas and after parties and welcome parties and rehearsal dinners and all that. I'm sure they would like you to go to all of those things. Don't feel like you have to go to all of those things. I mean, the wedding reception and the ceremony are the big thing. And rehearsal dinner as well, if you're invited. Yes, definitely. But don't feel like because you're going to this wedding, your whole vacation is going to be taken over by it and you have to spend every waking moment with the bride and groom. I think they would probably like a break just as much as you would. Yes, I agree. How did you guys do it? I know we had the wedding at the beginning and we saw everybody before the wedding and then we sort of went radio silent after the wedding and had our honeymoon and most people went home. What did you guys do for yours? Well, we just had the rehearsal day, um, the day before the wedding, and that was, we didn't make it a formal, like, everybody has to be in the park to play with us, which is good because in the end, we only were there for like two hours. So people that had park tickets and were going to go in the park anyway, just kind of hung out with them for a little bit. And then we did the rehearsal dinner. And then that was it for that day. And then the wedding day, we were just so tired that we just went up to enjoy the, the suite that we got. And I think some guests went home and some guests stayed on property just to kind of walk around. Some guests that were already staying nearby went into the parks afterward. So we just, we were very casual about it. We didn't want to force anybody to spend their vacation with us. And, you know, we, we felt like everybody came from far away and we didn't want to have a structured schedule for everybody. Just the main thing was that they were coming to the wedding and that we were happy with that. So we've given you a lot of advice today. The last frequently asked question that you may be feeling is, help, I'm still really overwhelmed. What are some resources for planning this Disney vacation? So here are some resources. There is a fabulous guidebook company that I happen to work for and have written Passporters Disney Weddings and Honeymoons for called Passporter. And they have Passporters Walt Disney World, which is a giant guidebook to the all the parks at Walt Disney World and it's also a planner so if you are an uber planner this is the book for you because you can write down all your plans in it or you can print out pages from the electronic file and print all your plans in it and it's a great way to keep everything in one place when you're going out to Walt Disney World. Uh, they also have the Disney Speed Planner which is for those of you who are not that much into planning and it's an easy 10-step program available as an ebook, which means it's a PDF, so you can open it on your iPad or on your phone or anything, a computer, anything that can open a PDF. And then another book I like to recommend is Passporter's free book for Walt Disney World, which is another ebook, and it has a ton of great ideas for fun, free things you can do at Walt Disney World. Now, Hope, do you have recommendations for Disneyland guidebooks? You probably don't need one because you're local. Yeah, not guidebooks, but I know my friend just started her travel company, and a lot of past brides also, they became a licensed Disney trip planner advisor agents. So my friend Mindy uh, runs or is a travel agent. Her website is Budget Fairy Tale Travel. And it's a free service. So if you're one of those people that just, I don't, I hate to plan my trip. I know I have to be there at a certain day and you just want to hand it off to somebody else. This is a good resource for you to just tell the agent, you know, I, I'm, this is the day I need to be there. I probably want to eat here, like make a special reservation, and they'll handle everything. It's a complete free service to you. They get paid by the company to book, so it's not like you have to worry about, like, on top of what you're paying for the hotel and tickets and airfare, you have to worry about paying for a travel agent. So I feel something like that would be a good resource, especially for Disneyland, because I know for a fact that she, um, in this case, she, uh, you know, grew up going, so she knows a lot about the park. 
That's a good point. Yeah, using a travel agent, especially if you've never been or you just don't want to hassle with it because people can spend years planning vacations to Walt Disney World and Disneyland. Using a travel agent is a really good idea. Um, I would say for Walt Disney World, some popular ones or good recommendations would be Mouse Fan Travel, um, Kingdom Magic Travel, um, Small World Travel is another one, and then also Dreams Unlimited. So those are some of the big ones, but like Hope was saying, there are tons of travel agents and just individuals who have become travel agents who can help you plan your trip if that's the route you want to go. If you are planning on your own, uh, there are some great sites for money-saving tips. Probably the biggest one is mousesavers.com. There's also mousemisers.com and themouseforless.com. And all of these, they are great about tracking all the promotion codes that come out for resort discounts. They'll round up things like, you know, Costco, if Costco is selling discounted passes or if there's a way to save money on a rental car. It's all in one place and you can sign up for their newsletters or follow them on Twitter so that you can always be aware of the latest discounts. And I guess also the, your best resource is if you know you have a Disney fanatic in your family or a friend, ask them. I'm sure they would love to talk to you about how to plan your trip. Yeah, that's a good point. I We're kind of the go-to Disney fans in our family, and we're always happy to share our tips. I even have on DisneyTravelBabble.com, I even have the insider's guide to doing Disneyland because I have a lot of friends who've only been to Walt Disney World. And so we sort of break down Disneyland for them when they're going out there. Right. And then just great resources online for planning information. A good general planning site is allears.net. And I'm going to have all these links in the show notes for this show. But it has pretty much every bit of information you could ever hope to find out about Walt Disney World. And they have a Disneyland section as well. If you need hours, showtimes, or you want to make reservations, the official websites are actually now a good way to do that. So there's DisneyWorld.com and Disneyland.com. They are finally getting their infrastructure to the point where it's easy to make a dining reservation or to look up the hours or whatever. And then food-wise, if you're at all interested in making reservations, where to eat, fun snacks, the DisneyFoodBlog.com is a clearinghouse of information, how to save money, how to plan itineraries around food, just what is served at what place. It's a really great resource. And then if you have questions, there are plenty of message boards devoted to the Disney parks. Um, my favorite is the disboards.com. And that's a great way to go and ask one-on-one, just type in your question and you'll get five or six people answering you with their opinions or, you know, their experience. Right. And Disneyland, I know I, the one I'm more familiar with and more involved with is um, the Mouse Planet forums. Right. And we did mention Mouse Planet um, as a good place to go to find out about discounts. Yes, they also have forums. So again, a great way to just ask your question instead of having to research and try to Google it and hope you got your search terms right. Just ask on the message boards. Right. So hopefully we've provided a lot of information to help you plan your trip and get excited about being a guest of a Disney's fairy tale wedding. Um, you can get more information and links in the show notes on DisneyWeddingPodcast.com. Thank you so much, Hope, for joining me again for this informative FAQ episode of our two-part focus on how to be a Disney wedding guest. I really appreciate it. I think you offered a lot of great tips. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me on the show. And I hope everybody listening got some good info out of this program. That's our show for today. If you enjoyed it, be sure to rate the Disney Wedding Podcast on iTunes so that others will find it. You can also send your comments, questions, and suggestions to info at DisneyWeddingPodcast.com. Past shows are available in iTunes and on the show's website. And for instant answers to all your Disney's Fairy Tale Weddings questions, 
check out Passporter's Disney Weddings and Honeymoons Guide, available as an interactive ebook with continual free updates at passporter.com/weddings.asp or in print at passporter.com and amazon.com. <laughs>